Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning into the Becker's Healthcare podcast series. I'm Brian Zimmerman, AVP, Client Content and Strategy with Becker's Hospital Review. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Andy Colbert. Andy Colbert joined Ziegler in 2006 as a founding member of Ziegler's corporate finance healthcare practice. He specializes in advising healthcare services and healthcare information technology companies on a spectrum of strategic and financing alternatives, including mergers and acquisitions, capital raising transactions, and partnership development. Andy is also involved in Ziegler's principal investing efforts and serves on the strategic leadership committee at Ziegler. Andy takes pride in developing long-term relationships with his clients and brings creative structuring insights and deep domain expertise to achieve premium outcomes. Andy has completed numerous M&A and capital raising transactions for healthcare companies across a wide spectrum of healthcare subsectors. Prior to joining Ziegler, Andy was investment banker in the healthcare group at Friedman, Billings, Ramsey, and Co. Andy, thanks for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. So let's dive right in here. Can can you begin by maybe talking about the driving forces behind the recent uptick in private practice orthopedic acquisitions since the pandemic? How might this trend affect industry consolidation as, as you're seeing it play out? Yeah, great great question. So you know, I think I think we're we're seeing this really across the board across multiple physician specialties, not not just orthopedics. You know, as as we see really this continued migration of volumes being pushed out of the hospital towards outpatient settings. You know, you've seen kind of a, a significant uptick in that volume trajectory since, since the pandemic. Uh, I think another implication of the pandemic here has been consumers looking to really take more control over their own healthcare you know, for many people, doing at-home COVID testing was really kind of the first foray into at-home lab and diagnostics, which is, is likely going to only lead to more and more implications, as well as uh, the availability of telehealth and telemedicine. You know, many consumers got first engaged uh, and acclimated to, to telehealth and telemedicine during COVID and realized they liked it and they want to continue that immediacy and real-time engagement with their providers. And so what, what we're seeing is that kind of really snowballing into this greater consumerization of healthcare where consumers are really starting to shop for healthcare much more like a retail uh, buy, a retail service, um, and physicians really starting to build those tighter relationships with their patients in the community, really starting to kind of build deeper engagements with the patient. And so private equity is really helping physicians make these investments, right, in technology, infrastructure, building brand and, and, and sophistication uh, to really drive that, that broader capability set to be able to really provide all these capabilities that, that, that patients are looking for. And so, you know, orthopedics is just very well positioned, right, in the in the care continuum here, uh, you know, they have a great opportunity, of course, to engage directly with, with patients, engage with employers. Um, and so private equity is really partnering with a lot of, of strong practices across the country, you know, helping them build out broader ancillary services, investing in ASCs and, and other capabilities that 
you know, while the physicians have made these investments over the years, right, it's always come at the cost of, of other investments or, or distributions and compensation. Um, and so now it's an ability to kind of really double down in growth for the future. Thank you, Andy, for sort of setting the stage there as far as those trends. I'd like to drill down with the next question and just perhaps can you talk about what the role of the investment banker is in, in this transaction process when when this consolidation begins? What what really does the investment banker, what role should be they, they be playing in, in, in this initial process during the transaction? Yeah, it's a great it's a great question. So, you know, if you take a step back and you think about kind of the genesis around what's driving these decisions and, and why physician groups are, are really at this inflection point. It's, it's the fact that they recognize that there's all this growth in front of them. They see the marketplace is changing rapidly. They recognize that there's a lot of new entrants coming into the market, be it you know health plans that are obviously getting deeper into provider uh, businesses, retail companies like you know, the CVSs and the Walgreens of the world. And so, you know, they're faced with this complexity of, of really how to navigate this kind of uncharted territory. And then you couple that with all the changing reimbursement landscape challenges. And of course, this continued push towards value-based care, which um, obviously anyone you ask kind of gives you a different answer on what what value-based care really means and so you know when you kind of bundle that all down it's just there's a lot of of options that physicians have and and i think where we're sitting today is probably one of the most favorable times when you think about kind of the balance of leverage that's really favoring physicians right now and specifically physician groups that really have a strong brand and 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 strong uh, patient base uh, because ultimately the, the, the puck is really leaning now towards, you know, whoever kind of really owns that patient relationship and has the ability to kind of really change and direct the, the care continuum. And so, you know, I, I see it first and foremost, the value of investment bankers really sitting down with the practice leadership and really helping think through all these various strategic alternatives that the practice has in front of them. Right. And it's everything from continuing to just do what they're doing today from a status quo perspective. It might be entering into maybe an MSO arrangement, could be partnering with a hospital. It could be maybe a merger with a local group, potentially a joint venture with a development company or another uh, individual or entity. Uh, There certainly are these national physician organizations, national orthopedic organizations that evolved. And then, of course, there's there's the private equity option. And so really the first step is really holistically evaluating all of these options, um, helping the practice understand what the potential pros and cons are of these various avenues, helping them think through what the economic options look like and the economic ramifications of, of each of these avenues. Um, recognizing that that some have kind of more near-term liquidity versus others that that might be maybe more muted near-term, but maybe more longer-term upside and really helping them evaluate the pros and cons. From there, then we really put together a strategic framework for the practice, you know, usually in the form of a three-year to five-year kind of financial plan 
helping them think through what the growth needs are, potential capital investments that might be required, and then kind of couple that with the the the, the narrowing down of which of these options they see they see most fit. And you know, if they do decide that it's right for them to pursue a private equity or a national partnership type model, um, we will then help construct the framework for these discussions, right, which starts with creating uh, the, the, the positioning materials, right, which is kind of building the, the business case and the business plan around the opportunity itself, the growth, uh, what the, the market opportunity is, as well as kind of the, the broader uh, opportunity across the region and the landscape, and then really helping guide and navigate these, these conversations, right? So starting to kind of bring in uh, selected parties that can be interviewed, sharing information with them, um, about, you know, evaluating potential offers as they, as they come forward. And then, of course, helping navigate that process, negotiating terms, helping manage all the other elements of the process, right, which can be f- fairly technical when you get into compensation models and, and other mechanics. And then obviously making sure that it's sound both from a current partner perspective a future partner perspective and then an employee perspective. Um, and, and of course, kind of helping then fine tune all the details and then you know, running through the, the detailed diligence and documentation process and, and getting all the way to closing. Thank you so much for walking through that, Andy. And, and as you just laid out the sort of complexity of, of, of this environment, all the very different considerations each each different practice might need to consider depending on you know, their market, their region, a lot of different factors, of course. Um, but I'm wondering here, and I know there's no one size fits all perhaps answer to this, but I wonder if there are maybe some universal truths here we can uh, home in on, which is you know, what should really private practice owners be considering? What should be some key considerations before they enter a strategic partnership? Can you, can you try to nail down a, a couple of key takeaways there for folks? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the first place to start is really kind of being being super honest with yourself around kind of what your strengths and weaknesses are, right? And and being really upfront about the the goals of the practice and 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 doing what we would call kind of a full scale SWOT analysis, right? Where you kind of lay out the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities, and the threats. And that, that, that's usually the, the, the baseline where you want to start from, right? It's, it, it's easy to get really excited about the economics and the upside and, and, and all the, the exciting things that these transactions might bring. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's a bit sometimes cart before the horse if you haven't kind of fully fleshed out what your own opportunities are and the threats that, that you're facing. And so really the first place to start, right, is, is being really thoughtful and introspective around you know, where, where your own strengths and weaknesses are. Um, then secondly, being really thoughtful about what you're looking for in a partner. And, you know, it, it goes much deeper than just economics and, you know, kind of dollars and cents, right? There, there, there's got to be a very 
strong cultural perspective, right? I mean, this is a long-term partnership that's really a, a marriage, much more so than just a transaction. And they've got to share that strategy and vision. Um, you've got to be comfortable and confident that this is a partner that's going to help aid in future recruitment. They're going to share your, your vision on, on clinical governance and, and quality. Um, and then the upside, right, has to be there, right? It can't just be a transaction that kind of benefits the current owners at the expense of folks that join the practice five or 10 years from now. And so it's finding the right balance between how to kind of bring what I would call an invited guest, right, into the boardroom and, and, and someone that you really respect and admire as a real strategic uh, party that's really driving growth and value add uh, much more than just the capital that they bring. That's going to obviously kind of push you to be a little more aggressive maybe than you would normally. Um, and so I think it really all starts with that upfront introspective analysis on kind of who you are, what you want to become, what the vision is. Um, and then obviously there's a lot more devil in the detail kind of work that we would help engage a group around, which is, you know, things like making sure your legal structure is fully buttoned up. You understand the tax uh, repercussions of a various, of, of, of a potential transaction and making sure you're kind of going through the proper tax planning around, you know, corporate organization and reorganization and thinking through the MSO structure, uh, making sure that you've got you know, properly papered employment agreements, your payer contracts are, you know, properly uh, contracted and, and, and papered, you know, your vendor agreements, thinking about change of control provisions and, and various, um, you know, provisions that would, would kind of get in the way of a transaction or require consent, right? You want to make sure you kind of think through those all up front so that nothing potentially holds you up or, or creates a leverage point in the equation. Um, and then of course, just making sure you have kind of all the HR matters uh, fully buttoned up. HIPAA, right, and, and healthcare compliance is a big area where we often you know, do, do upfront work. And then you're seeing an increasingly uh, large focus now on cybersecurity and IT type initiatives and, and making sure you do kind of the proper uh, pen testing and, and, and other uh, requirements to make sure you're kind of up to speed on those on those capabilities. And so, you know, usually we do kind of this full 360 degree review, you know, prior to starting any sort of external process to make sure we kind of look, you know, look under the covers, right, in all these areas and you know, really understand kind of all the potential skeletons that, that might be there and make sure we, we get them addressed so that, you know, when you do get in market and start having conversations with investors and other parties, uh, you've already kind of cleaned all this up so it doesn't potentially come back to, to bite you in, in a process where it could result in, in a material, uh, you know, economic issue. You, you've cleaned that up before you get to that point. And then, Andy, can you speak to sort of the the steps practice owners out there can take? I, I'm sure they'd like to hear this to really grow and, and increase the value of their practices. Can can you talk a bit about that? Absolutely. So, you know, I think I think orthopedics is a great 
is, is a phenomenal place to be right now, just given the degree of opportunities you have across the, the various specialties, um, right, relative to, to other groups, right? You've got so much opportunity across ancillaries, right? And when you, when you think about the opportunity to invest in, you know, pain management and physical therapy and fusion and, you know, all the other areas that, that, that really nicely complement the, you know, the, 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 the medical side, um, it, there's a lot of opportunity there. And then you couple that with the ability to invest in ambulatory surgery centers, right? And, and, and be in a position that, you know, CMS is, is leading the charge right on a lot of this, but, you know, continuing to expand the number of procedures that can be performed and can be reimbursed outside of the hospital. And I think that's only going to continue as, as CMS gets more and more comfortable with these, with these outpatient uh, centers and the sophistication of them. And so, yeah, I, I think a large part of it, right, is kind of, you know, expanding your, your, your brand and, and your presence in the market, right. And, and just building a stronger name uh, to your, you know, to your base. Um, as well as kind of expanding your wallet share across those same customers by being able to, to provide, you know, horizontal integration across some of these other ancillary services. And so, you know, ultimately what that means is, you know, being able to grow revenue without necessarily having to add provider uh, physicians at that same variable level, right? And so what that ultimately means is it drives more profit per partner as you grow the business um, that ultimately will create more shareholder value. And then Andy, can, can, can you talk about sort of, you've already laid out the case as to why private equity is seeing so much value um, in, in orthopedic private practices, but I'm curious if there, there's anything you'd add on that front. And then I'd also love to hear how you see investment sort of playing out um, in the, the back half of 2022 and into 2023. What can we expect to see here? Yeah, so, you know, I'd start by saying, listen, we're not here to advocate for private equity. We're, we're here to be really a physician advisor and, and, and a uh, you know, a, a real advocate for physicians across the country. I, you know, I grew up in a family of physicians, my dad and brother, both doctors, and, and I've always had a real pleasure and interest in working with physicians and helping them think through how they grow and, and, and navigate their businesses and, and navigate the, the complexity of the business process. You know, I do think private equity is an interesting option for the right groups, but obviously you've got to go through that initial SWOT analysis and do a formal review to really go through all the options to determine is it, is it the right path for you? Um, you know, I think in terms of why it can be compelling, you know, ultimately what, what it really boils down to is in healthcare, in order to be successful for the long term, fundamentally, you've got to get bigger, right? F fundamentally, scale is what drives the, the real leverage point in the ecosystem of healthcare. And if you think about, you know, the other participants in the equation, be it the health systems and the health plans, 
it's obviously a much larger scale that they're playing with in terms of just the, the financial resources that they have at their disposal. And so for physician groups, really the best way to be competitive and compete in this market is to continue scaling. And you know, physician groups certainly could go down this path on their own and merge with other physician groups. They could take a third of their income and they could put it back in the business and they could you know, make those reinvestments themselves. But it's often hard to do that without that you know, third party kind of helping guide along the way that gives you the confidence that you're making the right investments. Uh, it's also just candidly challenging to bring two physician-owned organizations together without that neutral third party, you know, helping stitch it all together, bringing the business plan, the expertise. And, and, and let's face it, there's just different capability sets that are required to, to, to build and grow a hundred million business versus a 50 million business versus a you know, 10 million business. And, and, and part of what you want to do in these, in these situations is, you know, find these types of advisors that can really help guide you as you grow. Um, and so what they will do is they'll bring the right leadership. I mean, first and foremost, I would say, you know, the success of most companies, you know, really live or die on the caliber of their leadership team. And so I can't really can't underestimate, you know, the, the value of having a strong bench really investing in not just, you know, a CEO, but a full bench of, of leadership talent, sophistication around finance and revenue cycle management, right? I mean, as we all know, it's just getting more and more complex today to, to, to drive everything from payer contracting to, you know, all of the revenue cycle efforts. And, and obviously now that patients hold such a large portion of, of the receivables themselves directly. You know, HR legal compliance is, is becoming much more challenging um, and, and requires, you know, full-time expertise. Information technology, you know, we talked about just the rise of cybersecurity issues, HIPAA breaches, you know, all kinds of data challenges. You know, once again, these are all capability sets that can, can be invested in, but it's just hard at a small, you know, 10, 20, 30 physician group to make these kinds of investments versus if you're at 500, 1,000 physicians, it's much easier to make these kinds of investments and the percentage of your salary that goes towards these is obviously a lot smaller. And then lastly, I'd say growth, right? I mean, just having the infrastructure around growth is critically important for these physicians to feel like they have a partner that is sophisticated around you know, M&A, capital raising, um, you know, bank debt and, 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 and taking, you know, loans and being able to manage the, the, that process, um, you know, not having to put up a personal guarantee, of course, um, and, and understanding and evaluating kind of how to compare and contrast different, different growth options is an incredibly complex endeavor and, and I think can be overwhelming if you don't have the right partner to help you navigate that process. 
It makes sense. Andy, I, I appreciate you coming on and just walking through these questions with me and, and sharing all your insights and expertise with our audience. I just want to pause before, before we sign off. Is there anything else you, you want to add? Anything we didn't get to you think is important to note before we sign off? Yeah, no, I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, you know, the, the last thing I would add is just I think it's important to be really strategic about these conversations. No question, the market is hot right now. I think activity is only going to continue to pick up in the orthopedic market. You know, there's kind of a record number of, of investors and platforms right now in the space, and, and the activity is, is only going to increase as we get through the year. That being said, you know, I think it's important to recognize that you, know, you, you, you go through this transaction really kind of once in the life cycle of your practice and you want to make sure you go through it really thoughtfully you pick the right team of advisors to surround you and guide you through this process really strategically because you don't want to look back two years from now and 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 wish that you had gone a different direction it's very difficult to reverse course and so i just want to stress the importance of being really thoughtful and strategic through this process Great place to end. Thank you again so much, Andy, for for your time and just coming on and sharing all your thoughts with our audience. Thanks again. Thank you. Really appreciate it. I'd also like to thank Ziegler for sponsoring this episode. You can tune into more podcasts from Becker's Healthcare by visiting our podcast page.